Hi, everyone. It's Wednesday. Jesus, my watch is jacked up. It's Wednesday, uh, August 2nd, 2017. This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it here on this hump day uh, on Wednesday. A lot to get to today. UFC 214 is in the record books. There's now talk of Jones Lesnar. What's going to happen to Daniel Cormier? What do you make of the post-fight interview? Tyrone Woodley's whole issue. What's the future for him? Um, talk, as I mentioned, Mexico City, UFC Mexico Cities this weekend, and a whole lot more. Anything else in between, of course, is up for grabs. Best place to get your questions in is going to be where this window is embedded on MMAfighting.com. Uh, questions that turn green get, as you know, priority, not exclusivity. I'm doing quite well today. It's a little bit cooler in my attic. Not my attic. It's my upstairs. But I've got I've got uh, skylights in the roof, so it's a little bit harder to keep cool. Uh, I got some water. I got some terrible Deer Park water. And uh, yeah, happy to be home. Productive trip out to Anaheim, but a long trip just the same. Coast to coast flights, man. I have to do them on Southwest too. Yikes. Your boy is not in love with that. But, uh, and the next trip is to, uh, Mayweather McGregor, which is just going to be bananas. Anyway. All right. Let's go ahead and get this going. As, as you know, at the end of the chat, I will get to your Twitter question. So if you give me a tweet at L Thomas news, or just use the hashtag chat rappers, there's an explanation in the post. I will see those at the end of the chat. Okay, let's go ahead and get to it now, shall we? Uh, European UFC stars with complicated names. All right. Uh, Luke, could you give an update on the following three European UFC fighters with complicated names and tell us who, when, we can expect them to fight next? Number one, who should Volkan Uzdemir fight next? Yeah, I spoke to him on uh, yesterday. Yesterday? I think it was yesterday. And um, he wants Gustafson. He wants to see who's the king of Europe. But I suspect that that Jones-Lesnar fight, if they make it, is probably a ways off, um, just for logistical reasons. So it looks like I, I would. I, here's what I would like to see. I'd like to see Jones fight Gustafson next. Um, really, sort of settle that dispute one way or the other, and then have Uzdemir face Teixeira. Uh Now I know Teixeira just lost to Gustafson. And that would be sort of an odd pairing, but just sort of looking around about who else is there, you could do Shogun, but Shogun's fighting OSP, and Uzdemir already beat US OSP, so it's not really clear exactly who would be a better choice. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's the way I'm leaning. Now, if they somehow decide to keep Jones on ice, I guess you could do Gustafson Uzdemir. Uh, Fire Kid Tom Dukenwa. Boy, that's a good question. I have not thought about him in a while, but man, he is... Obviously, quite the talent. Um, let me see. When did he fight last? It's a great question. Wow. He fought last at UFC on Fox Johnson versus Hayes back in April. And he fought at Bantamweight. Oh, man, there's a lot of good choices. You could do him versus, I mean, Aljamain Sterling, I think, is climbing the ranks, but you could do him versus really any of those guys in that top 10. Let me pull the rankings up here, not to go exactly in order, but just sort of see a, a, a general layout of who's available. So you've got Sterling at eight, Almeida at nine. You could do that one. 
Thomas Almeida versus Tom Dukenwell. That'd be kind of good. Uh, Marlon Marais, you could do that one. That's another good one. Eddie Wineland, Pedro Munoz, Rob Font. Uh, Rob Font would be a good one too. A any of those, any of those would be excellent. Rob Font versus Tom Dukenwa would be amazing. Plus, Font just came off that win, so um, and he's very, very talented at 13. So I, I think any of those would be absolutely just fine. But that's a great question. And then lastly, Habib Nurmagomedov. What's going on with Habib? He's doing tours of like former Soviet satellite states. And if you can follow him on Instagram, he's not smiling at any of them, but uh, it appears to be intentional. Um, do you know if a rematch is actively being scheduled? Uh, I've heard rumblings of it, but nothing concrete. But certainly, uh, right, you still want to make that Ferguson fight. I thought for sure after this last time it was gone forever, but but maybe not. Maybe there's still, there's still hope for it yet. And if you don't do that, I don't really know what you do in terms of progressing that division. So that's what I would like to see. Um, you know, you're, I'm hearing November 4th, MSG. Other people have heard that as well. Uh, not for that fight necessarily, but that they might do that a card there. Uh, who would you think to be on that card? Maybe GSP, maybe John Jones, maybe Habib Nurmagomedov. It's really not clear exactly who would be on it, but um, that would be one possibility. Another one would be, you know, the December show, end of the year, or maybe if they do a January early one, depending on how they handle it. But that'd be another good one as well. Someone's asking if I have... What is this? Promotional Uber practice shirts? What the hell? Uh, I'll take a look at those later. I don't know what that is. Uh, UFC 214 pay. Do you believe Tanya Evinger getting paid 100K has anything to do with the fact that they can't find any women willing to fight Chris Cyborg? Yeah, probably. Probably, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, I'll fight Chris Cyborg. It's another thing to say, if they offered you 25K to fight her, would you fight her if you were a bantamweight female? Probably not, right? Or at least you might think twice about it, or at least you might say, okay, I'm willing to fight her, but you got to make it a little more worth my while. And 100K um, seems like it was enough of the sweet spot for Tanya Avenger. Probably given her most recent paydays, that's significantly higher. I've not looked at her last Invicta payday, but I suspect it's a fraction of 100K. Um, so... So yeah, I, I, I look. All, all of these things are a matter of incentive. These are prize fighters, right? So what is the prize? The prize could be glory, the prize could be fame, the prize could be that you have this a win over this person on your resume. But the prize, more commonly understood, is financial reward, some kind of financial return. Conor McGregor is the ultimate prize fighter because he has these larger prizes <clears throat> in the sort of abstract sense. But then, of course, he likes big, fat paychecks, which is exactly what he should like, and there's nothing wrong with that. So um, this is not quite a Conor McGregor paycheck, but the point being is you got to grease the wheels a little bit to get him to run. And 100K, I suspect, is definitely, you know, look, she's jumping up a weight class on short notice against, I mean, pound for pound, best woman on the earth, maybe, right? Wouldn't you want a little a little extra off the top to, to make it worth your while? I know I would. So... So I am sure, I'm absolutely sure, you know, I mean, I don't know for, for a fact, but that seems quite obvious to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, do I want to get into the John Jones stuff now? I'll get to a little bit later. Someone says, you should have said, all right, mate, in a British accent when John Jones shot your question down. Uh, no. The big lesson there was I should have had another question ready and just pivoted to somebody else. Um, 
actually just didn't have another one. I just, I had only that one. So when he didn't want to answer it, I had nowhere else to go with it. And I was sort of caught off guard. So big lesson there. Always have another question ready. But I think you guys, I think someone asked this a little bit later down the thing. I'll get to it in time. <laughs> it would have been better if he had said, Chip, Chip, Jirio. Uh, then grabbed his top hat and cane and drove away on his imaginary scooter. Uh, yes, there, people think that's fake. There's a one time where I, I think it was before the Rampage fight. And I know it was real because I used to do these interviews through 106.7 The Fan, which was the old radio station I worked on. And there's these radio tours. And the way the radio tour works is that whoever the fighter is or whoever, even, it's not even just fighters, just celebrities. And it's like, okay, from 8 to 10, you're going to just do radio interviews. And they set all these radio interviews up across the country, and everyone's given a time slot like they're going to call in at this time. And what happens is the fighter or the athlete or the celebrity doesn't call in. The service calls in and then patches through whoever you're trying to talk to. So they called me up, and they were like, all right, you ready for John Jones? I said, yep, of course, no problem. Patched him over. We talked for just a second. I was like, all right, John, you ready to do this? Three, two, one, because it was a pre-record. And then once we get going, he was in a British, <laughs> a British accent. I was like, people still think that's fake. It's 100% not fake. He actually did that the whole time. But if you go back and you look at my channel, uh, that was the day of the open workout at the Muscle Farm Gym. And I, so I did that pre-record for my radio show. Then I went to the Muscle Farm Gym and I met him there. He didn't really apologize, but he then gave me like a solid six or seven minutes directly together uh, in a normal in a normal voice. So, but yes, he actually did do an interview entirely in a British accent in character the whole time. Uh, there you go. That is real. Right. Here's an interesting question. All right. MMA as a sport. Hey, Luke, in the aftermath of the Woodley fight, um, his coach, Dean Thomas, asserted that if you objected to the fight, you basically don't see MMA as a sport, but purely as a spectacle. Uh, a lot of journalists, fighters, and fans seem to agree with this view strongly. However, I don't understand this. In fact, I think it's the opposite. As a Madrid fan, I'm sure you've seen many occasions in which they won, but there were still boos at full time in the Bernabeu. Yeah, that's because the ultras are terrible people, though. Uh, that's because in sports, the expectation for elite athletes is very high. And while you pointed out in your Monday morning analyst, Woodley's defensive display was flawless. Well, not quite flawless. He did grab the cage a couple times. But yes, it was very, obviously very, very good. But his offense was poor. Anyone trying to claim Woodley doesn't deserve criticism simply because he won is, in my eyes, patronizing him and the sport by not viewing him as the elite sportsman he is. Maya could have been finished, and Woodley didn't do that. Therefore, he, uh, he, feel below the high, he fell below the high standard he should be held to. Real Madrid could win all their games in the same uber-negative way Woodley wins fights, doing the bare minimum. Boy, that's a lot more than the bare minimum. And winning by one goal, but they would get reasonably criticized. Uh, isn't it only fair to the sport to judge MMA fighters in the same way their contemporaries in other sports are judged. Now, someone replies below that, and both of these turn green. Someone says, in reply to that, they're hipsters. Those people with, quote, unique views, end quote, on this fight just want to look smarter than the rest. Just because rules don't do anything about avoiding exchanges doesn't mean we should all appreciate Tyron taking advantage of that. As someone said, Caleb Starnes doesn't get enough credit for neutralizing Quarry. If you just defend without attacking or countering, or do that very rarely, you should get a warning and a point deduction if you do it again. I'm not blaming only Tyron for the way the fight looked. Maya was really bad too. 
If you fail at 10 single legs, at least try to mix things up. Why didn't he clinch once? He could have went for an upper body takedown a couple of times, then faked it and went low, but he looked frustrated. And without a backup game plan, he did have only five weeks to get ready, though. These are great questions. Really great questions. Um, yeah, so on my post-fight show, and I think I tried to reiterate this on the Monday Morning Analyst, but I'll do it again here for folks who may have missed those. Um, I mean, look, if you're in an arena and 17,000 people, or, or you know, a good portion of them, let's say 15,000, are booing, are they all wrong? Are they all wrong? You know, I have a very hard time to believe that. And when I say wrong, here's what I mean. Maybe booing is not the appropriate response. As you mentioned, the ultras at the Bernabeu will do that. The ultras are like the hardcore Real Madrid fans, right? And every every soccer club has them, where these the, the diehard fans, like the guys who are Arsenal fan TV, right? They're, I mean, they're not exactly ultras, but something like that. Um, and if you even if you win and you don't look, you look kind of ho hum, they'll whistle you at the Bernabeu. Is what they do. They whistle. And other places, they'll just straight up boo you or heckle you. Um, I know when they had a rough spell at Arsenal, they were singing to them, you're not fit to wear the shirt, right? I mean, this is hardcore stuff. Um, so in that sense, I often feel like MMA is really weird too because I feel like this gets into a bit of that Daniel Cormier situation where you have this face and it's this incredibly sad face and people want to use it to mock them. And it feels so wrong, but you have to ask yourself, in what way is that really distinct from other sports? You know, the crying Jordan thing or or really anything. Um, people do this kind of thing all the time. But there is something about f f fighting, and I've mentioned this before, and I and I, I really do believe it's worth repeating. We've, we've turned fighting into an enterprise where we're doing it for sport, but it's not really a sport. It's just not. I mean, we, we, we these are athletes 100%, and there are rules, no doubt about it. It's got all the trimmings of sport. But the reality is what these guys are doing is something that happens in the street. What we have done is take it out of the street, put rules around it, attracted athletes, put money on top, regulated it, and made it above board. But fighting between humans is something that naturally happens. Fighting between animals is something that naturally happens. What we've done is added safety requirements, athleticism, and best practices to it. And I think it speaks to a different part of ourself why, you know, fans will boo like they wouldn't boo, you know, um, any other team, even ones they liked or other players, even ones they liked. But it feels a little weird to mock them because it feels like they're sacrificing something different on the altar of athletics. It feels like they're giving a little bit more. And in many ways, I think that they probably are. Um, it doesn't quite naturally work. So like when people were mocking Ronda Rousey, people were like, oh my God, how could you do it? And I was thinking to myself, people were saying that everything was so unfair to her. And I'm like, you understand the criticism that LeBron James got. And a lot of it might be justified, but just to look at the vitriol you know, when he had that first, was it the first failed finals with the Heat, and it was like, if you give LeBron James a dollar, he only gives you three quarters back because he he was a ghost in the fourth. Um, there is a you know MMA fighters to some extent, and this goes to the Jones thing too. They're partly really shielded from a lot of criticism, but it can't feel good that um, you know you went out there and did what you did if you're Tyron Woodley, and you're still getting uh, you know frankly abused for it in a way. So like I have mixed feelings on the one hand, you know, it's not the same as other sports. And on the other hand, um, there are still, I think a, a, a degree of expectation fighters should have that they're not exempt from criticism. They really want to be, but they're not. Um, so here's my view on it. Like 
I think a lot of the arguments that Dean is making are true, which is to say, you know, why do we have weight classes? Why do we have rules? Why are we attracting athletes to do, th to do this? Why are we developing best practices around winning and losing? Why does that matter so much if ultimately what really matters to you in the end is something that those things can't reliably guarantee, right? All those rules, we can attract the best athletes and we can set them up with almost no gloves and you can punch and kick and knee and elbow and choke. But even with all that freedom, it still does not reliably set up guaranteed finishes or guaranteed action all the time. It's just not possible. And the various incentive structures don't allow for that either. Uh, partly he's right. Like at some level, this is a sport. You just have to kind of come to terms with it. And I think, I think that's true. However, it's also true that like, are these people in the Honda Center confused? <laughs> right? I, I mean, I don't think that they are. I think that they are saying to themselves, this is not, this is a spectator sport. And spectator sports have spectator requirements if you go to like a wrestling tournament or you go to a jiu-jitsu tournament like you go to an ibjjf gi tournament look at the stands it's friends family competitors waiting for their next match it's not a spectator sport now maybe eddie bravo can fix that um i heard the last ebi was incredible but as it stands that's not what it is and so it's okay to have these matches people like this match with jose aldo where he lost was boring because it was three advantages to one dude ibjjf gi matches are hard to win and the margin is that thin and neither of them wanted to pull guard, and there was just a gripping sequence, and their judo wasn't good enough to overtake the other guy. So it was just a lot of st – not stalling, but stalemating. Um, and they got warned for it too. My point being is um, if you want to make the argument that what he did was magical, which I think you can, and if you want to say what he did was unbelievably impressive, and you can, you also just have to say maybe it wasn't that entertaining, and I'm okay with that. It wasn't that entertaining. You know, it was un it was incredible. His take go I devoted an entire Monday morning analyst to it. His takedown defense in that fight is ridiculous, and not just the takedown defense, the planning ahead of time and the execution around not giving Maya a second and third effort was 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 amazing. It was amazing. But did I have the most fun ever watching it? No. No, I didn't. So, I mean, I understand why Tyron Woodley is upset. I think he has a right to be upset. You know, it's one thing for fans to boo and say, I didn't like this. It's another one to maybe harass them online or to say, you you know, you suck as a champ. You didn't do anything. That's not true. I think the fair thing to say is, hey, I wasn't all that entertained. Uh, it, it, and that's okay. It's not fair to say, you know, he didn't do anything. I mean, look, I tore my labrum and my joint, my shoulder fell out of my sleep. What am I saying? I tore my labrum and my shoulder fell out of my socket in my sleep. The fact that he tore his labrum and beat Demi and Maya with flawless, borderline flawless takedown defense. Guys, this is, this is next level stuff. It's next level stuff. It just so happens to be that not every fight can be blood and thunder and guts. Not every fight can be entertaining. So I think you have to, I think the appropriate position to take in my humble opinion is you do have to give the guy a ton of respect and you do have to acknowledge that it is a sport and you do have to acknowledge that that rules incentivize behavior. Um, but at the same time, I think there's also you know, a reconciliation that needs to happen on the other end where it's like, you know, it wasn't that fun. doesn't have to be fun all the time, but it wasn't that fun. You cannot argue it's greatness and fun at the same time. Um, certain fights are that way. You know, Gustafson versus Jones, for example, but uh, not in this case. It was it was a it was a marvelous performance, just not one that was palatable to casual audiences. If you're accusing casual audiences of not being fight experts, then why are you then expecting them to be fight experts when it comes time to judge the, the contest?
right? Because it's the fight experts who are the ones who are able to say, wow, you know, look at the deep intricacies, you know, coaches who can watch this and say, oh my God, look at this, look at this, look at this, you know? Okay, well, if that's what it takes to enjoy it, well, what do you expect? A room full of coaches, you know? Um, so I just don't think, but I don't think he's entitled or I don't think he should be subject to abuse. I don't think it's fair to say he didn't do anything. I don't think it's fair to say he didn't launch offense. I mean, there could have been more offense, but if you're torn your labrum, you know, God only knows what would have happened if he had tried to throw it and knocked his shoulder out of his socket. And here's the other thing, like, again, I mentioned before, rules incentivize behavior. We need to change the rules a little bit to maybe, you know, I don't know, give these guys a, a yellow card or a red card. Like, you got to get them going. Um, I've talked about stalling before where, you know, there's stalling on the ground where if you're just holding up, if you're just holding up, um, the lockdown and you're not reaching for underhooks or trying to sweep or do something, you're stalling, right? And that's not really called, but I think it's stalling. Or if you have a tight waist, and I'm not saying the last two weekends have shown this, but if you have a tight waist around someone and you're not really doing a whole lot with it, there's a case to be made you're stalling there. Let's get, let's, let's find a way to incentivize action. This to me keeps going back to the problem of putting our rules in the hands of athletic commissions. And I know that may sound like this is not the issue, but I do think it's the issue. The NFL every season is able to iterate and create new rules and create new opportunities and change structures. And so they're always kind of tinkering with the formula to get things back again. Look what they did. They, they are allowing celebrations again this season. You may say, well, that's not the biggest deal, right? But at least they're able to make changes whenever they feel like it. Right? They're able to make all these kinds of changes to make the product more palatable over time. And maybe it's because of Kaepernick's protest that ratings were down and they want to get more fun back in the game at the end. I, I, you know, you, you can have a debate about that. But the point being is they're constantly making changes. And we are not. We are constantly sticking to the exact same thing. We have no real way to promote action when action isn't there, short of very minor circumstances. And I think that's a bigger issue, too. If we had a real mechanism where no matter who the fighters were, and not no matter the context, but we had a wide latitude, or the referees had a wide latitude of ability to say, gentlemen, ladies, let's get this going. Um, some of these might go away, but we don't. And so as a consequence, here we are. I just think if you're out there harassing Tyron online, you know, I don't find that to be appropriate. If you're saying he didn't do anything, I really don't agree. I think what you can say is he did the best he could given the circumstances, and it wasn't all that entertaining, but I can acknowledge that, you know, it was a virtuoso takedown performance. No one has shut him down at welterweight like that. Nobody. And he did it, you know, pretty spectacularly, I would say. But I, I do agree that people are like, if you don't like it, you just don't understand. Do I expect every fan to understand? understand? That seems awfully unreasonable, right? Like... But I also think as a fighter, you're right to say, you don't get to harass me over this. And I think that's true, too. One says, do you think they could change the rules to make the sport more exciting? Yes. Someone goes, for example, NFL has competition committee. Exactly, exactly. That reviews the rules every year and tweaks them for safety and excitement, like adding a two-point conversion, chasing the yard line of the kick off the uh, of the kickoff. NBA added a shot clock. MLB added the, def uh, the DH, designated hitter. Yes. This is, to me, the problem. Everyone wants to make it about what Woodley did or what Maya did, and maybe they didn't do enough if you really want to believe that. I don't believe that. I think they did basically what they're capable of, right, given the circumstances, the short camps, the whole nine. But what I do think is possible is, rather than just blaming these two athletes all the time, because there's going to be another case where this comes up, and it may have nothing to do with Tyron, and it may have nothing to do with Demian, and you're going to say, what about now? We need some kind of way to get the pace going. That's, what we, that's what's really missing. 
That to me is the much bigger issue here because that would have covered this fight and then the next one and then the next one and then the next one and the one beyond that. Uh, and we don't have any of that. Pride had the yellow card and the red card, and that always felt kind of goofy. But looking back on it, seems pretty seems pretty smart to me. Gangster from West Lynn can fix this. Chael Sonnen says, don't avoid the criticism, but instead steer into it. Tyron need to, needs to not insult the fans' intelligence and preferences by telling them their opinion is wrong and based off a lack of understanding of what's going on. Basically saying if you don't like it, if you're ignorant and wrong. He needs to acknowledge that the last couple of fights weren't super exciting, remind us of his previous exciting fights, and state the goal is to return to that style. Demian, as awesome as he is, didn't seem to really push through his takedowns once he made contact. He did that Mark Munoz bit where sometimes he would like shoot in, make contact, and then just sort of stop, you know? Um, and again, Woodley was injured. So, so yeah. I, I think that's just the bigger issue. You know, everyone that we ran towards regulation, we ran towards regulation. Okay, great. Well, that covered us from a lot of safety concerns and the whole thing going away. But now the problem is we are stuck. We are mired in an, in a, in an inability to innovate. And I think that's a much bigger issue. What, you, what do you want? You want a rule system that can fix just about any scenario? Or do you want to blame these two athletes for ones fighting injured on their own short camps? And the other thing is everyone's like, Tyron Woodley, when he, when he first got the belt, and he was like, I'm not going to fight Wonderboy. I'm going to get the money fights or you know whatever it was exactly. Everyone was like, oh, my God, I'm so mad at Tyron. And then he ends up fighting Wonderboy twice and then Debian, two guys with absolutely completely different game plans. Uh, two different styles and both number one contenders, and he never shied away from it. And in the last year, he's been the most active champion. Like, I, I'm I'm willing to cut him a break. I, I really am. I, I'm not saying it was. Oh my god, I was so thrilled after the co-main event. I'm not saying that, but I'm I'm willing to give him a break. I really am. Uh, fantasy matchups. All right, Daniel Cormier versus JDS. I like Daniel. Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. Ooh. Boy, that's a tough one. Because Tony takes so many risks. Mm. Probably go Tony, but that one I would not feel comfortable with. Kelvin Gastelum versus the scale at 170. Uh, I think Kelvin can make it. Oops, I'll put this back down a little bit. I think Kelvin can make it. I really do. Nick Diaz versus Joel Romero, five rounds. Yoel. Nick Diaz versus Joel Romero in a spelling bee, <laughs> in a spelling bee contest. I'll go with Nick on that one. That's hilarious. Don Jones versus Brock Lesnar. Jones called Lesnar out post-fight, and it probably uh, it, it would probably be the biggest pay-per-view the UFC can make without Connor. So do you think it will happen? If so, how do you think it will play out? Brian Stan, Matt Sarah, and Den Hardy, and myself thinks it's an easy win for Jones, but it's not impossible that we could see the Jones on, Jones on his back with a monster on top of him, and then what would happen? And pay-per-view wise, do you think you reach 1.52 million? Um, so here's the thing: like in a post McGregor Mayweather world, I, I would be very foolish to say this could not happen. I think what you can see is that these things now, these super fights, take on a life of their own as a media narrative, and that can propel it forward and create its own momentum. And uh, if the fans bite into this idea even half as hard as they've bitten into Mayweather McGregor, it not only is possible, it's an inevitability. I think it's a lot more likely than some other folks might think. It's number one. Uh, now, when it might happen and under what conditions, you know, I don't know. But 
I would not dismiss this at all. I would take this very seriously, whether you like it or not. Now, uh, what would happen? I think it's. A, I think Joan, Jones would beat the brakes off of him. Um, you know, he's always been big at light heavyweight. I think he put on just enough size to counteract um, Brock. I think he could handle himself just fine with heavyweights. Skills when fights, he's way more skilled. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think it'd be a whole lot of trouble for him. And this is the issue. Everyone's like, well, if it wouldn't be an issue for him, why do it? This is this is what I mean. What's the most important priority, I think, right now for Jones? Probably to fight Gustafson, right, at some point, either November or December or in the new year, or whenever, whenever they can make that work. Uh, and then after that, find a way to get the fight with Brock. Because if you just make a fight with Brock with real no, no, no other purpose, it, it's, it feels meaningless. And to an extent, it might be. But here's what I think. If you give the Gustafson fight first, make that the priority, get that done. Let's assume he wins. He may not, but let's assume for the sake of argument that he does. Then what you do is you set up the Lesnar fight as the first fight into John's John's Jones's push into heavyweight. Right? This is him. This is his this is his breakout moment for the heavyweight division. First test up, Brock Lesnar. Because I think most Fight fans would realize Brock's not the best heavyweight, but there's something intriguing about it. Obviously, with sell a ton of pay-per-views, it would make John a bigger star. So by the time John and Stipe fought, well, whoever's the champion at that point, maybe it's Cain Velasquez, I guess we'll see, then that becomes even bigger as well. So if you treat it as this entry into heavyweight after the light heavyweight work is done, uh, then I think it becomes very interesting. Then I think it becomes something you can actually say, this has real significance and meaning and import. But if you just make this happen right away and, you know, he goes back to light heavyweight, it's just a money grab. It's not as fun, you know, and in many ways it might just be a money grab because I think, I think John would be, beat the brakes off of him. But uh, nevertheless, I think you, you're allowed to make fights like that for guys who are jumping into a new territory, right? Your first fight should not be that difficult or not, not that it's an easy fight necessarily, but your first fight should be a manageable task. And I think that would be a manageable task for Jones. Uh, Nick D has whereabouts violation. All right. What are the chances of getting a reduced suspension? I was trying to make sense of how it happened and couldn't help but notice one important thing. In order to fill out your whereabouts, I am going to be here. The person has to be competent enough to accurately identify where here, <laughs> where here is. Nick Diaz, I mean, this guy's trolling. You're trolling. I can't. I mean, maybe not trolling, but I. However, what? However, he is spending his time away from the cage. I, I don't think he should be subject to USADA, but that he is, and that the request that if you are, is it reasonable to conclude that you could fill this out in a way that everyone else can? And the answer is quite obviously yes, right? That it's a pain in the ass. I agree. That he should be able to do it is really debatable, but. What's next for DC? Dethroned and 38. Where does DC go from here? Retirement or heavyweight? So uh, what I've been hearing was that uh, if he lost, he was con contemplating a move to heavyweight. But I don't know what the situation is now, right? Because that was a real bad loss. Um, maybe he's got enough media gigs coming up that he doesn't need or want it anymore. Or who knows how he feels after this? Uh, no one's obviously spoken to him, so we don't really know. Um, 
but I know that they were at least considering that. It was at least something that they were considering was a move to heavyweight. I I'm, I'm, feel very confident in saying that. But I don't think that they ever thought they would lose like this. And I don't really know what his appetite is for increased competition at this point. So not increased, I should say additional. Right. Um, I think he could do well at heavyweight if he wants to go up. You know, I still think he's a very, obviously, very talented fighter. But if he wanted to retire, I wouldn't blame him either. Right. Like, guy did a lot in his career and did it really well and did it like a sportsman the whole time. Uh, I felt, I felt, I felt really bad for him in that cage, man. He could go on a heavyweight run and earn a title shot before Kane fights again. I can't say that's wrong. <laughs> I cannot say that's wrong. Uh, Cyborg versus Holm, a stylistic wet dream. Cyborg is an aggressive forward striker, and Holm is an accurate counter striker who doesn't mind going backwards. Is Holm a horrible stylistic matchup for Cyborg? Could this be a more competitive repetition of Holm versus Rousey? Or are these two substances, when they come together, just the right mix for explosions and fireworks? I think it'd be a good fight, but I don't. It really would depend on what Cyborg wants to do because eventually she is going to find her way into the clinch. Like, Cyborg gets this reputation as something of a brawler, but she's really not. She has good head movement, distance management. She cuts off the cage. She finds her entries well. She takes her time now. She used to kind of just run over people, and that was fine, but now she's taking her time, especially since that Yorina Bars fight, you know? Um, and if she clinched up and then took it to the ground, which I think she could probably do, you know, this might be over relatively quickly. So on the feet, I agree. I think that would very much be a fun matchup. Um, to see how the so the cat and mouse game, but given all the other things that Cyborg is very talented at, it sort of takes the suspense away a little bit. Uh, this one didn't get uh, three wrecks, but I'll wreck it up. Uh, John Jones going back to his roots. I thought this when I saw John's look going into fight week, Sands the hobo beard. He looked physically like he did when he first got the title. The thing is, when he started to fight, I thought the same thing. In his early run and early title defenses, John fought with his best weapons. He finished nearly everyone. But since the Chael Sonnen fight, he was taking his opponents on at their specialties and only finished Sonnen. The Teixeira, Gustafson, and Cormier fights, the first one obviously, were all decisions, and he got into a lot of trouble against Gus. It's also why John's, Jones's fans excuse me, were worried about a matchup between him and Rumble. What are your thoughts about how he fought Cormier the second time? Is he returning to the John Jones of before? And if he is, do you think a rematch between him and Gus, will, how do you think it would go? There's just a big debate about to what extent John's frame aids him uh, in an unnatural way that if someone can match that, all that magic of his game goes away. I think a second fight with Gustafson would add that. I personally don't really believe that, at least not to the extent that it is promoted, but I agree that it's an intriguing question. I agree that there's a little bit of smoke to that fire. Um, and so why not have it answered? Plus, Gustafson has done a lot of good work in his absence. There's, of course, a money-making reason to do that fight. There's a lot of things about that fight that you want to make. So um, how a second rematch with Gus would go, I think it would go in John's favor, but, you know, it's anyone's guess. But, but about how he looked against Cormier. Cormier made a bigger leap from the first to the second fight. Like, he had done more work in terms of adjustments. John, I thought, had made a lot like he had improved between the first and second fight but not like obviously no matter what john was still better than dc dc didn't make up the distance or pass him he just made up more distance from the first fight than john did but i thought john 
I mean, I don't know how you guys felt. He was missing a little bit with the head hunting, right? Even with the wrist grab and then the elbows over the top, he was missing with those. He nailed them a lot last time. He had a little bit more trouble in the clinch. Um, I think Cormier was ready for that. But I thought in every way, number one, obviously the body work was tremendous when he was in orthodox, left hooks to the body when he was southpaw, jabs and crosses to the body, the teeps, the knees, all that. I thought, you know, it was amazing when he was running, when he, when he caught Cormier with the head kick, and then Cormier was running around the cage, and then he kicked his feet out from under him. I don't know what it is about that. I saw that, and I thought that was like a – I don't know what that – I don't know how to explain it. I saw that, and it just reminded me of like um, a scorpion or something that had stung its prey and is just watching it leave. And it, it, that seemed to me un, uniquely cruel. I mean, it was smart, of course, and not it was well within the rules, but I don't know. It was um, – some sort of recognition about how hurt he was and sort of almost like effortlessly, you know, bringing about his demise. And then that ground and pound, that was like, oh, my God, that ground and pound was ridiculous, dude. I mean, he was swimming into it like he was trying to, you know, breaststroke through mud. I mean, I, he was like digging into it. Shocking, shocking amount of uh, torque he gets on those things. But I just thought he had. He looked amazing. I mean, how could you say anything otherwise, right? You have to be a liar to get up there and say he looked bad. He looked the sh look. There's an article that came out years ago in the Post of the Times, um, Washington Post, New York Times, where it talked about scientists sort of looked at Michael Phelps's body, and I made this point on Monday Morning Analyst, and they had said like he looks like a guy who is naturally aided to swim in the water, and they're you know the way his feet are shaped and how long they are, and his arm length and his torso and his weight, all these things they sort of noted enabled him to swim faster than his contemporaries, in addition to, of course, hard work and, and everything else. John has those natural abilities, too. Like, those long arms help him to dig under hooks and to create unique offense, and, and, and you guys know the story. But on top of that, how can you say anything other than the guy's fight IQ is off the charts? The choices he makes are so smart all the time. All the time, he's picking, it almost seems like the right thing. Now, is it perfect? No. As I mentioned before, I thought he missed to the head a fair bit, at least relative to the first fight. So he, it wasn't like it was a perfect execution or anything. But, you know, you can just see him thinking through things, and it looks so effortless. You know, he got his, he got his mouthpiece knocked out early. He also has a pretty good chin, it looks like. Um, but it's just the shot selection, the distance, the way to keep Cormier off balance, dealing with his pressure, negating a lot of it, and then finding the opening. He threw that head kick in the second round, and Cormier blocked it. He went right back to it. It was so fast. It was so fast, man. Uh that is what really just sort of amazes me. And then it looked like this time, credit to Sean Sheehan for bringing this up over at Severe MMA. It looked like he had a little more zip and pop on his shots too. I completely agree with that. Not a substantial amount more. It wasn't like he had no power. All of a sudden he's got, you know, crippling power. But it looked like there was a little bit more oomph in them too. Man, those two years off, I don't know what he was doing in the lab, but it wasn't slacking, you know, I can tell you that. Um, this is what I mean. How do you watch that fight and go, man, Brock Lesnar's got a chance. Why? Because he's big and strong. He couldn't do much to Kane. Um, and Kane, I'm sure Kane is strong as hell, but whatever Kane can do, I, I really believe, at least in this context, uh, John can do too. And there are different body types and different strengths and different you know, realities, but I have a very hard time believing that if John really wanted to, um, he couldn't beat Lesnar relatively quickly. Uh, is Woodley a marketing genius? By extorting an apology out of Dana White, well, we don't know if he got an apology, do we? By calling the lack of promotion backing racism, by adamantly defending his ranking and performance, 
These are all actions that are infuriating the fans to the point where articles about his comments are getting major hits. Does he actually dislike the hate, or is he pulling a Mayweather and trolling fans into watching him in hopes he'll be defeated? Someone says, adding to this, what are your overall thoughts on Tyron Woodley threatening to leak information that would hurt Dana White in the UFC? I'd heard he's got, you know, you hear whispers about like, hey, Tyron's, you know, um, similar things. Like Tyron's got, you know, things he wants to let out and he may not, you know, you never know what to hear about these rumors. They're just rumors, you know. Um, and I don't know what he has, if anything. Maybe it was all a big bluff. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what he's got. I found that a little odd. I mean, if you want someone to apologize, you don't want to extort them, right? You just want them to honestly tell you that they're sorry. You know, that's, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to argue for it, but you know, you don't want to blackmail them. Um, so I thought that was, I, I don't know that I necessarily thought that was a great way to go about it, but is he a marketing genius? I don't know. I don't get the, I mean, I get the sense partly that Woodley is out here not playing the role of the villain exactly, but he does seem unconcerned with fan. That's not quite true either. I think he wants to assert his vision on the world and his, as he sees himself and the, his place in it and is willing to do that despite the criticism. Obviously, it got to him a little bit after this last one. I think, you know, if your labrum was torn and you just shut down Damian Maia, you might feel the same way too. Um, I don't know how calculated it is as a, you know, it's like a Chael Sonnen thing where it feels very calculated to play the villain role. This feels more to me like I want to assert myself and how I see myself and I want to take this opportunity to tell the world how I feel. Um, and I want to prove, t uh, I want to prove that I'm right one way or the other less than let me construct a phony image or a cartoonish image that is an exaggeration of how I feel in a really strong way. I don't really feel like he's exaggerating a whole lot. I feel like he's candid in a way that might, you know, candor is hard to deal with um, for a lot of people. I think he's dealing with he's shitting that candor and that rubs people the wrong way, right? Um, and look, he might say arguments you don't agree with. I mean, there's that too. He might say things that you find, whatever his argument about Lawler not getting a, shouldn't not deserving a title shot or whether there's, you know, racism in fight promotion or, or whatever it is. You may not agree with those things, but I think it's sort of all centered on this idea that he has a strong vision of himself, a confident one, and he wants to assert it. And when there's pushback against it, he wants to push back against that too. And in that space, that friction, it creates, to your point, uh, interest and intrigue. I don't I don't get the sense that it's like he's his own puppet master. That That doesn't feel quite right. Someone says the problem is that the hate has to make people want to watch him lose. After his last three outings, no one wants to watch him at all. I don't think that's quite right. I mean, certainly people are mad about what happened at UFC 214, but I still think people want to see him lose. What was interesting was going into the fight, I really thought he was turning the fan base in his favor. He got a nice reception at a lot of the media events. If you looked online at his champ camp thing on YouTube, people were loving it and praising it and... I thought finally our, this guy really uh, was making fans come around. He was, you know, he was bending the universe, not quite like Connor, but getting them to look at it. And uh, that appears to have taken a step back. All right, let's get into this now. I'll just be done with it. Uh, all right, John Jones denying yours truly. Hey, Luke. So a week ago, John Jones refused to answer your question at the pre fight presser, and it definitely made you more popular, did it? And there is a statistical data to back this assumption up. 
your post-fight special, for example, it's the most viewed video on YouTube and it's just one week old. Well, that's also to do with those those view counts. If I do one for a fight night or a pay-per-view or a big pay-per-view, those view counts are are heavily tied to general event enthusiasm. So if the event has low enthusiasm, the count will be relatively low. If the event has high enthusiasm, the count will be relatively high. That's that's very dependent on that. Less so, I think, about whatever Jones said or I said. So, but I did add, I did add like like a thousand followers on Twitter, and I did add like two or three hundred on Instagram. I don't think I had that much on Facebook, but there was there was some response to it. So, do you mind that kind of boost in popularity getting more views? I mean, I don't mind it. I don't I don't know that I crave it, but I don't mind it. Uh, obviously, would prefer it some other way, but do you see this as a good thing? I see it as a very neutral thing. Also, you've gotten to know exactly why John doesn't like you. So let's talk about this, and then let's put it away. Because I know everyone wants to, everyone in my their brother has hit me up. Even like local radio stations here in DC asked me about it, which I found surprising. I didn't think it was a big deal, uh, believe it or not. Um, what the hell? Oh, sorry, they cowled in me. Believe it, or not, I didn't think it was that big a deal, and I still don't. Um, let me say a couple things about this. So I'll just let me tell you how my day went that day. Um, so he said what he said, and I again I didn't have another question ready, which was a bit of a rookie mistake there. Um, but I I was like surprised by it because I did not know that there was an issue. A lot of times, what happens is if a fighter has an issue with you, they often reach out to you privately, or their management reaches out to you privately, or sometimes their promoter reaches out to you privately. This has happened a number of times. Let me say something in a wider sense. As I speak to you right now. There are any number of fighter journalist beefs going on that are all beneath the surface. This is a constant. It happens all the time. Now, it doesn't always happen with John Jones, as far as I know. I mean, I well, it does happen a lot with him, actually. But you get the idea. It's not, it's, not, it's not tied to John. It happens all the time. And sometimes camps won't talk to certain websites. Sometimes fighters won't talk to certain shows. Sometimes managers won't talk to certain journalists, and there are constant beefs happening all over the place. Usually, they all get resolved, and usually, they all stay below the surface. In fact, I'm not going to say their names because I don't want them to get in any kind of public scrutiny. Let me assure you, and I'm going to be very clear about this, I was not the only one on that week that he refused to talk to. There were several others. It just didn't make it public. And in fact, if I had never asked him a question at that press conference, I don't know that this would have gotten out because I don't think John cares enough about me or any of those other people to make it public. He just wants to dismiss us. Um, but I'm not the only one. Just just to be very 100% clear about that. There are other ones. And you can look around and see who didn't get interviews and you can see I'm not the only one. Okay? It's just I haven't asked him a question. He has some issue with me. And so there it goes. So anyway, so that day I talked to his manager once over text and then I saw him in person at the fighter hotel and I was like, you want to tell me what this is about? And at first he didn't know, then he spoke to him. And then what I understand is just a series of negative comments that, or at least comments he interpreted as negative um, in the course of, I don't know, the last couple of years or so. Uh, was, it wasn't quite clear. They didn't exactly pinpoint at, at least at that time. They might know better now. I haven't spoken to Malky since. But, um, and I talked to other members of his inner circle as well. And they were all surprised by it too. So I tried to get to the bottom of it to see exactly what it was because look, here's the deal. And I'll say this now and I'll say this forever. 
uh, if any fighter or any or any manager or whatever feels like I've covered them in a way that is uniquely unfair and out of bounds, I'm happy to hear what their complaints are. I'm not telling them I'm going to apologize necessarily, but I have in the past when I was wrong. For example, and I've done it publicly as well. Um, I had I interviewed Brian Stan and I hired someone to transcribe, and they transcribed it all totally messed up. I didn't check it, published it. And he got really furious with me, and it wasn't until I went back to the the transcription and the audio that I realized it was a giant mess. I apologized in public to him because I owed him that. It was a terrible mistake. Now, this was almost 10 years ago. We're fine now, but um, I've done it. But I'll tell you this. I one time had a very, uh, a promotion call me up, furious. I didn't apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. They wanted a copy of an interview I did with somebody. Turned it in. You know, they expected an apology. They didn't get one. Right, because here's the deal. Uh, these fighters don't owe us anything. I said this with Ronda Rousey. Remember that when she didn't want to talk to us at 207? What I thought was it was a bad look that if you're so fragile, you can't talk to anybody in the media, that you don't even want to face them at a press conference. Nothing. That that signaled something bad. But does she owe us anything? They don't owe us anything. They never have and they never will. Uh and I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me at all. Everyone's like, what did you do? It looks like I did my job. That's what it looks like. Again, if they are able to identify a piece of content that is over the line, uh, okay, I'll take a look at it. I'm not guaranteeing that I will in any way take it back, but you know, I do this. I do my Monday Morning Analyst. I do, what, 10 hours plus of radio a week plus the beat. At some point, especially when you speak extemporaneously, you might go over the line sometimes. Maybe, 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 maybe there's something there. I don't think so, but I'm, I'm willing to hear them out. But if it's just common conduct in the course of editorial responsibilities, then I, then I, I, I will do nothing about it. Um, and someone was saying here, I think, you know, what about if you don't get any closure? I'm not looking for closure. I'm looking to do my job. If you do this job and what you want is fighters to like you, you are doing this job poorly. Now, look, I'm not out there trying to make enemies. In fact, I, I'm actually out there trying to foster relationships. I don't, I don't love this scenario. It's not it's something that makes me delighted. I'm not delighted by it. I wish it was different. But the most important thing I can stick to is to not be bullied by stuff like that, whether it's him or anybody else. It's to ignore it. Not ignore it, but I mean, to you cannot give in to pressure if what you've done is fair criticism. And I'm and guys, correct me if I'm wrong. Have we not spent the last few years with a lot of you being mad at me for, if anything, being too soft on him? After him hard enough by your judgment? I mean, one of the first things I thought was, I was like, okay, he's mad at me for criticizing him, and I have. Okay. Uh, but wait till he finds out what everyone else has been saying. <laughs> I mean, if you're mad about what I've been saying, wow. You should see what they're saying back there. It's a lot worse. Um, but I don't say those things. Look, when he pulled out of UFC 151, I defended him. I don't take that back at all. When he, when it was revealed he was doing coke, I didn't think it was a good thing, but I defended him. I don't take that back at all because I don't say those things to make fighters like me, nor do I say things to get fighters to get mad at me. I'm not trolling them. Isn't what you want us to be honest with you? Isn't that what you want? 
Is is what the, is the coverage you want from us all fighter approved? It's not possible. It would be boring. It would be terrible. So I'm not going to give that to you. And if it means guys don't want to talk to me, cool. I'll hit the nuclear option with all of them before I stop being honest with you. It, it, it's not worth it. Now, if there's a way to reconcile this with, with, with Jones, I am happy to seek it out. Um, but if there's not, and it's something he wants to maintain for the rest of his career, frankly, I respect it. I don't want to be under false pretenses with a guy, and I don't want to be under pressure to say things I don't mean. And I'm not going to. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to keep doing my job. I have no animus to John. I thought he handled it poorly. I thought there was a better way he could have handled that with me, but he didn't. Okay, duly noted. But it's not going to result unless they can demonstrate in some clear and obvious way that something was totally over the line, which I have a hard time believing. It will just be what it is. And I am perfectly okay with that. I got good sleep in Anaheim. Believe me, I got good sleep this week because it, it would be it would be a disaster to take this uh, moment and then turn around and say, well, I guess I better say things that fighters like because otherwise they won't talk to me at press. Okay. I mean, you don't, these guys don't owe you anything. When they come on my show, I treat them very nicely because they're our guests. I don't ever expect them to come on. I don't, they don't owe me anything. Now, maybe they owe the UFC something right in their contract. It says, you know, um, you have to reasonably promote to the media, but that doesn't mean they got to promote it to me. So if they don't want to talk to me, they don't have to. But I, I can't I can't stop being honest because then what are you? You're a shell of a person. So the answer is not to, to, to yell at John when he acts rudely at a press conference. The, the solution is not to say, mm, I'm going to get back at him. These are what cowards do. That's what losers do. Oh, he made he he tried to insult me in public. I need to I need to stick it to him. Nope. I'm a pro. He is not the first fighter that's going to be mad at me. Trust me, he is not the last. It is part of the job. Here's a lesson to everyone who wants to be in MMA media. If you want to have any ability to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did my job, I called it down the line, and people got mad about it, and understandably mad about it, how would you like it if somebody who doesn't know you was criticizing your life? Would you love it? Probably not. Irrelevant. Your job is to call it as you see it. This time, tomorrow, every time. It does not matter if they like it or not. Now, you have a responsibility to call things um, with a degree of fairness. You can't just go out there and just say whatever you want. But I'm pretty sure you guys accused me of year over year over year of not being all that hard on him of not being all that tough on him. I thought I was appropriately tough on him. So if that is something he's not happy with, I can I can totally understand that. But it's not going to change my coverage, not even a little. I have a job to do, and I intend to stick to doing it. Now, can we please let that be the end of this? I have answer, I have literally given you every piece of information that I know about this. I respect that he doesn't want to talk to me, uh, uh, and he's mad, but if it's for doing my job, then, then that's the end of it because I, I will not stop doing that. All right. Video breakdowns and analysis. Have you seen the YouTube user, the weasels channel? I have not, but you have linked it. So I will check it out. 
He also does breakdowns, and he's able to show a few frames at a time from just the fights he's talking about. Being able to see just that moment in time he's talking about makes it much easier to follow for someone who doesn't train. When it's just stills, I basically have to go by memory or rewatch the fight as I'm listening to the breakdown. Is this something you think you could incorporate into your Monday morning breakdowns? Well, I can't steal from him. <laughs> I can't I can't do it. Um, I'll leave a link to one of his recent ones. Look, I'm not telling you all the Monday morning analysts is the most technically sophisticated thing that's on the YouTube market. Believe me, it's not. It's just the problem is I don't exactly know a way to imp improve it that doesn't substantially add to my workload because you have to get it out in time and that I have the core competencies to do. Uh, let's see. Cyborg versus home. Home's tough, but Cyborg hits really hard. Does she finish her? Ooh, on the ground, probably. On the feet, maybe not. All right, divisions in turmoil. Okay, Luke, what is happening with these once thriving and competitive divisions? Six to 12 months ago, the middleweight had young up-and-coming contenders, ex-champions looking for a way back, older experienced pros finally getting to their groove at the top of the division, and a champion who had a great story and a penchant for exciting fights. Now most contenders have either left the company or are coming up with a loss, and everyone is waiting on Mickey Mouse fight between a retired welterweight legend and a surprising middleweight champ who wants one last big payday. And for what? This is his words, not mine. How does the division move forward from here, and won't it? And won't it with the WMEIMG WME way of doing things? Okay, letting go. go let it, okay, letting go of Musashi seemed kind of bad because, as you pointed out, everyone else has lost. He was on a five-fight win streak. This would set up the Weidman rematch or a title fight pretty nicely. But now that you don't have that, you've got a real big problem on your hands because the best option after that is Weidman, who had a nice win over Gastelum but was on a three-fight losing streak beforehand. So that part is bad. Same with Welterweight, like losing Rory. If you had Rory here, this would solve a bit of a problem. Let me just say these things are cyclical. Like as bad as it looks now, it might look great in six to 12 months from now. You just have to let these things kind of work themselves out a little bit. Because as bad as it is at middleweight, like, like bantamweight is super hot right now, you know? 12 months ago, the welterweight division had just crowned Tyron Woodley its champ, and beneath him, there was a few up-and-coming prospects, McDonald, Larkin, and Thompson, a regenerated Cerrone, and a fan-favorite ex-champ in Lawler, who had just been dethroned. To add to that, GSP was always lurking in the background. Now again, fighters have left or are coming off of losses, and the one fight that should be made, GSP, seems to have finally disappeared. What is needed to rescue this once great division? Well, keeping Rory would have been a big help. Um, I couldn't even suggest going all out for Askren as he trains with Woodley. As I understand it, um, Askren will basically, like, he hasn't said this to me, but my understanding is he has so many fights left for 1FC that he'll likely end up retiring with them that you won't see him anywhere else ever. Uh, I am not thrilled to see Lawler, given he got knocked out recently by Woodley. Who can Woodley fight next, and where will the next contender come from? Man, this is the problem. Again, if you had Woodley, or if you had, you know, Rory, and Rory would have had those two losses anyway, and he would have had him against Thompson, um, as well as Lawler himself, so that would kind of make it a little bit weird, but I don't really know. I mean, it's almost like a blessing that, not a blessing, I don't want to say that, it the timing is fortuitous insofar as if he does have a torn labrum, 
that is a very complicated rehab, right? We talked about this before. Your shoulder can, your knee just bends. Your shoulder goes up, side, back, forward, this way, this way. I mean, it's got a huge range of motion. It's a very complicated surgery. That's a very complicated rehabilitation process. To this day, you know, if I'm benching, I have to do an incredible amount of warm up on this shoulder um, just to get it ready to rock, you know. And again, I'm sure Woodley would heal him is like an X man for crying out loud, but you know, we're all mortal on some level. So that, that might delay things to the point where I know he doesn't want to hear it, but there might be an interim title or let's see who we got out there. Who do we have at welterweight? So you got the top Tyron, then Demi, and he just lost. Thompson lost. Uh, I reached out, by the way. Um, I'm understanding is he got a minor surgery and is kind of chilling for the moment, but he's not out for very long. Uh, Lawler just won. He's at three, so that's kind of up there. Masvidal, you know, he just lost, but maybe some kind of Lawler-Masvidal fight in the interim while Tyron's gone. Um, Carlos is gone. Neil Magny, I think, has a fight coming up, right? And then Cerrone lost, but Neil Magny's all the way at six. Not a lot of great opportunities there. So I think you're right to pinpoint some things in the division that have not gone well. Um, but I, I think it's kind of cyclical too. But they are bleeding some important pieces that you can see they would be able to plug in ordinarily. So it's not the end of the world that those guys are gone, but clearly it has hampered their ability to keep the division moving in a reasonable way. Twitter snitching. Oh, I love the Twitter snitches. They are my favorite. Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley. I know you can't expect much solidarity between fighters, but those Colby tweets about Tyron Woodley was a new low in my opinion. What's your take on it? You know, there is people were like, oh man, there wasn't a lot of solidarity in that. And I and I agree. That there was not a lot of solidarity in that. However, what rubbed me the wrong way was not that there wasn't like I expect rivals in the same division. Like Colby Covington's beginning to assert himself. You know, here's the thing: if the guy's been fighting tough guys in places that a lot of people haven't paid attention to, let's pull up old Colby Covington's record, shall we? Covington is slight, slowly making some noise here. He's 29 years old, obviously out of American Top Team. So he lost to Warley Alves, or Varley Alves, back in 2015. Since then, he defeated Jonathan Mounier, Max Griffin, then Brian Barberino, and then Dong Hyung Kim. And he beat Dong Hyung Kim fairly convincingly. Now, he's got some work to do, but you can see he's making that push. Every fighter in their career makes a push over time, and he's making that push. Um, so I think he's just feeling like someone who's in a competitive space. And he wants to get out there and take on one of his rivals, even if it's the champion who he's not really probably in a position to be asking for a title shot for, but I think it's unrealistic to expect them to not do that. However, my issue was that he went after him by siding with management. I think that was what I didn't particularly enjoy. So like NFL players, I mean, on the field, they talk crap about each other. On Twitter, they're, you know, look look at Josh Norman and Odo Beckham Jr. Man, these two go after each other. They're competitors. I expect competitors to compete, whether it's Twitter, the field, game, or, or, or anything. They're, they're going to go after each other. The difference is that Odell or Josh probably wouldn't appeal to, like, siding with the NFL as a way to get their um, message across. I think that's the part that I was like, you know, um, I'm not saying in this case management is inherently evil, but that seems like a funny way of 
it's just short-sighted. It's just short-sighted. But, you know, Colby Covington's on his way up, man. I think he's trying to make a little bit of noise, and and he did. It's just kind of wish fighters wouldn't do that part, you know. What is promotion? When fighters complain that the UFC promotion isn't promoting them, what are they actually asking for, and is it effective as they think? I think it's a few things. It's good. That's a great question. Great question. Number one, they want to be on big cards. They want to be on big cards, and they want to be on posters. They want to be on Embedded. They want to be on TV shows. They want to be interviewed on Fox. They want to have Dana White talk them up. They want to be on Sports Center. They want to be visible and seen. They want to be part of the UFC's ability to put, you know, UFC has a ton of shows, right? And they've got a ton of YouTube content and all these other um, video assets. And they want to be part and parcel of that. They want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to be talked about. They want to be visible. And they want to have someone say really nice things about them. And you can imagine all the different ways that that can be done, where when Dana White goes on the show, he says nice things about you, or, um, you know, he so maybe is even buddy-buddy with you for a while, or, um, you know, they put you on a big fight, and you're on the poster, and you're signing, and you're, you're doing Q&As with the fans before weigh-ins, or anything like that. They just want to be recognized and felt that they matter and put out to the public in a way that is both positive and visible and frequent. Um, I think that's what they mean. And, you know, and more than that, I think they want, you know, if you have some kind of subculture or, you know, if you're a fighter of Latino descent or if you're, even if you're gay or you like video games or whatever your, whatever your thing is that is part of your forward identity, it can be, you know, like you have big, big beard or something like, um, what's his face? Um, uh, God, the one who did the beard oil. I can't remember, but point being is um, then I think they want to see if the UFC can make inroads into those worlds on your behalf, you know, uh, and I think to some extent they can, to some extent they can do those things, but they can't do it for all fighters all the time. A lot of it relies on your own hustle. A lot of it relies on your own push, you know, expecting, um, expecting, we talked about this before, expecting corporations of any walk of life. You know, they can help promote people, and they do. They do a lot, but there's a limit to what they can do. There's 24 hours in a day. There's a set amount of assets they have, and there's a priorities they're going to have too. And you might fit into those. You might not. Hopefully you do, and you get pushed along a certain way. Um, but if you don't, you got to figure it out. And, and then look, and Tyron's done a pretty good job of that, you know. Um, guy's got himself in movies and public speaking, and, you know, his YouTube stuff is, is it's, it's nascent, but it's on its way. That's a, you know, and that's pretty cool. Um, but what you hope for is that the UFC embraces that kind of thing and lets the wider world know about it. And that's, you know, that can be tough. That can be tough. Uh-oh. Let's see. Good question, though. It's a really good question. Any news on Cody Garbrandt's recovery? No, I have not looked into that. Initially, there were talks of rebooking Cody TJ into late July, August. Then there were talks of TJ DJ that fell through. What's your gut feeling? My gut feeling is they still make that fight on a reasonable timeline, but it's a good, good question. Uh, Luke, do you have any up updates on Dominic Cruz? I saw him at the um, UFC 214 Media Day. He was there with a backpack on, uh, taking notes. Him and Brian Stan are the two I've seen 
go to media days and talk to the fighters. Um, those two guys are impressive, man. They're impressive guys. They really are. Um, I would be keen to see Cruz Rivera and Thompson Lawler next. Cruz Rivera and Thompson Lawler next. What are your thoughts? Sure. Absolutely. I'd be all in on both of those. Cruz said in the Jerry, his plan was a, a return of Q Q4. Um, is this still alive, really? Let's buy Luke Thomas a chair. What is this up to? Fifty dollars of a one hundred and seventy-five gold. Look, if y'all buy the chair, I will wear it. I'll not wear it. I'll use it. But you don't need to buy a chair. As you may know, Luke Thomas had about thirty-four minutes of his show two weeks ago. Asked us to buy him a chair. He was being facetious. Facetious. Yes, I was. But why not? It is my birthday this Saturday. That's true. How cool would it be to drop money for a chair? I set up a GoFundMe. Any re recommendations are great, but the funds will ultimately go to Luke. Well, the chair would. I wouldn't take your money. The chair is pictured and just generically placed. That is hilarious. Hey, if y'all do it, I will absolutely use it, but do not feel in any way obligated to do it. Uh, Dana White, does Dana White still have the cachet he once had a couple of years ago? Now I feel like almost everything he says is a lie and the opposite is going to happen. He seems to criticize more fighters lately, but won't say anything negative about the golden gooses. Well, I mean, that's not a, you know, that's not a change. Yeah, you know, in some ways he has changed. In some ways he hasn't. Certainly his stature among the media. In some ways it is, it's more established, right? You know, I when we were at Mayweather um, McGregor press tour in Brooklyn, I told you, like, as he comes down the line, he's got these prepared answers. Biggest fight in combat sports history. If McGregor hurts you, you know, he finishes you. Like, he says the exact same things over and over again. And those audiences all seem quite receptive to him. They all seem to you know, want to talk to him in a way that um, doesn't seem to indicate that he has lost any kind of cachet. I think in the hardcore fan community, he used to be viewed very, 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 very positively. But I think he's gotten sideways um, with so many fighters over the years that, you know, uh, a lot of the hardcore fan base is not nearly as positive on him as they once were. But um, I don't think it has fundamentally altered. The, the thing that has fundamentally altered him over the years has been the um, – the uh, the lawsuit, the class action lawsuit, because once they were able to go back and weaponize his own comments um, that he made to the media and other places against him, uh, that is when that is when it became. That's when he had to make substantive changes. You know, uh, that is when he had to dial back his persona and not say the same kinds of things he used to. And um, I think he was at his best quite frankly, when he was warring with other promotions. And he was, you know, he was out there and just saying crazy things all the time. And um, people ate it up. They loved it. They they he had him eating out of his hand. And, you know, it felt like he just felt like a guy who understood the fans and and would, you know, do whatever he could for the UFC. And, and the fans really responded to that. And they still do, don't get me wrong. But... I just feel like between the fighter lawsuit and his, you know, willingness to get sideways with his talent, it has just accumulated into a sense where he's not quite as popular as he once was. I mean, look, I mean, consider we have 215 coming up. It's amazing, right? Nunez versus Shevchenko and Demetrius versus um, um, Borg. You know, he's trashed <laughs> um, the two champions there, you know?
and they put them on the same card, Ugh, that is not going to do well at pay-per-view, right? It's like, I don't understand that. And, you know, the thing is, Tyron Woodley's going to get another fight, too. You know, he's like, who wants to pay to see Tyron Woodley fight? You know, it's the other thing, though, I'll defend Dana a little bit because he is caught between a rock and a hard place, right? Everyone's like, why are you trashing your champion? Okay, I, I do think he could have handled it differently, but the key insight to Dana is that, I think, I hope, is that he's a fight fan. At the end of the day, that's really what he is. And when he speaks at the post-fight press conference, if he spoke like the way a lot of us have said in the past he should speak, he would be criticized for being a out-of-touch Bob Arum type who refuses to acknowledge that somebody is bad. You know, he had he developed, I think, a bond with the audience because he says things that the fans are thinking. You know, the fans, you could hear them in the Honda Center, believe me. They're I was I was upstairs on the third concourse in this media room that had just a curtain close. It had no windows. So you could, I could hear everything. And, uh, and they were, they were quite vocal. You know, what is he supposed to do? Come out and say, no, that was great. The fans will be furious at him too. It's a bit of a no win position. So I think the position he just adopts is, um, I'm going to speak like a fan would. The only thing I would say is he probably could have tempered that criticism of Woodley a little bit. They didn't have to go so far overboard to the point where, cause this is the other part. If you go so far overboard and the fighters aren't afraid of speaking up anymore, then you have this negativity out there that, you know, after every event, it feels like somebody is negative about the UFC at this point. And I think, you know, maybe he could have dialed it back to avoid a situation like that. But, but in fairness to Dana, there's not a lot of good options there. You either get up there and pretend like nothing bad happened and everyone hates you for that, or you say exactly how you feel and you sound like a fan and then your fighters get mad at you and, um, and then media criticizes you for on your own fighters. It's it's a it's a very difficult position to win in. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine at L Thomas News on Twitter, and then uh, use the hashtag Chat Rappers. Okay. People ask if John Jones, excuse me, is back after beating a top four pound for pound for Jesus Christ, Luke. Can you read today? People ask if Jones is back after beating a top four pound four pound fighter. That's like asking if MJ was back after winning his fourth ring. Yeah, he's definitely. Did he look like he had any rust at all? I didn't see any. And by the way, this was kind of funny too. I'll defend Jones for this. Two premises you would have to accept, or at least one or the other, you would have to accept if you thought he was going to lose on Saturday. One was time off which I thought I didn't agree with, but I could see as a reasonable way to say, hey, man, that was a lot of time off, and Daniel's been active. I could see this going badly for John. Okay, I, again, I didn't agree, but that seems within the bounds of, of, of a reasonable suspicion. The other one was if you thought he was on drugs, steroids, performance-enhancing drugs. Boy, the echoes of that argument, I don't, I don't really hear them today. Hmm. Wonder what happened to that. Remember all those people who were like, look at this abnormal blood work and blah, 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 and all this stuff. They were certain he was on something. Um, USADA was probably up his ass for this fight, and he looked better than ever. So where are those people now? Where are all those people who said all those things about him now? They have gone very quiet. Have you noticed that? They've, they've, they have shrunk they have shrunk to the size of invisibility. Kind of funny. 
Um, why do grapplers fall in love with striking? Odd to see Ortega view his BJJ as an ace in the hole instead of a primary option. That's a great question. I asked him about it, and his answer was, um, you know, look, fights start on the feet, and it's easier to get a sub in MMA if you knuckle them into the dirt first. That was basically his answer. Um, so uh, I, I agree. I think his... I, What? What is this? Variety reports WME IMG has received a 1.1 billion cash infusion that partly allows insiders uh, to take money out of UFC deal after just one year. But if it's a, yeah, it's a funded dividend, well, that's not that big a deal. Not that big a deal. Um, where was I going with this? I don't remember. I'll just go to the next one. Oh, yeah, the Ortega thing. Um, so, you know, he, does, he takes a little more damage than I would like, but his jiu-jitsu is so awesome. He is such a delight to watch. I, I really, really have a lot of respect for for Brian Ortega, and, and his game is so fun, you know? Any thoughts on people who leave their chewing tobacco spit bottles around after they are done with them? Well, I've done that. So um, we are, I don't, I don't dip, I haven't dipped in, Jesus, 15 years. Um, but no, yeah, 14, 13 years, something like that. So I used to do it, but it's a gross habit. But I got to say, man, you can't do it because it's obviously terrible for you in every capacity. But putting a fat wad right here on the edge of your lip and having all that and when when the when the when the nicotine hits it is feels amazing <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to love it I used to love it um if it wasn't terrible for you I would still do it probably if Bellator is building to daily versus MVP in the UK in 2018 why book daily versus Larkin in the fall um because I think you could probably do daily versus MV. In Bellator, wins and losses don't mean exactly the same thing. Um, if if there's a if it's a really good fight and they both look amazing, you can still book it, you know. But I agree, it's not an ideal scenario. Do you think Dan Hardy will actually return? Yes, I do. And has his stock gone up significantly since his last fight? Well, it's been so long. The stock issue is sort of, you know, no, it's probably gone down to a degree. You know, I mean. Not that I don't have a tremendous amount of respect for him, but you know you haven't fought in a long time, and before you were ranked, and now you haven't fought in forever, and who knows what's going on since then. But I do believe he'll return. He, I've spoken to him a number of times about it, and every time he's like, I think what he's waiting for is he's being very clear about this. He could go to he could go to uh, welterweight or lightweight. He just wants a name, you know. He wants a name, um, and it, maybe it would have been Matt Hughes. Obviously, Matt Hughes had that tragic accident, so obviously it won't be that. But, um, but, um. I think that's what he's waiting for. So it says Gustafson versus Uzdemir for the number one title shot. I wouldn't mind it given what happens. Surely Uzdemir is the fastest to come in and within three fights be number three. Uh, maybe John Jones is the other one. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, I love his new nickname. Have you guys seen it? No time. It's just the greatest nickname ever. Um, because Woodley doesn't bow down to Dana, 
is a big part of why people dislike him. I think the bigger part is probably that he is hostile with fans. They don't like that. Uh, people ask if Jones... I'm not saying it's wrong to be hostile with fans. Some fans deserve it, probably. A lot don't, you know. But just generally, this notion of being hostile with them, or at least giving it back to them, you know, they don't, it doesn't endear you, you know. I speak from experience. Um, people... Oh, here we go. How long does Gustafs... What? Oh, how long does Gustafson last with a fully trained Jones? Seems like that's up to John, doesn't it? People ask if Jones is... Jesus Christ, how many times are you going to ask this? Is Woodley caught in a weird spot between what have you done for me lately and a long title reign like GSP had? Is Woodley caught in between a spot... I don't know I understand the question exactly. What have you done for me lately? Which he has not done a lot lately. And a long title reign like... G yeah, people keep saying what well, GSP was boring. GSP was boring, but GSP had built up a lot of goodwill beforehand. You know, and he was surfing on that for a while. He had achieved celebrity before he got boring. Um, and so I think people were far more forgiving of it. Woodley has achieved a level of celebrity. Well, he had that exciting win over Lawler, but then he had, and, and then the even the first Wonder Boy fight was pretty good. But he just didn't have this like uh how do I say this exactly? If Woodley had done this tremendous amount of work and had achieved a level of celebrity and then fought the way he did in the second uh, Wonder Boy and then Demi and Maya fight, I think people would be a lot more forgiving, you know. Someone says, your suggestion for the ref to step in to get the action going happened in the home Kohea fight. More of that, please, hashtag. Yes, but we need even more. Like, we need, we need some kind of way to enforce. We're so uh, averse to breaking up positions, breaking up whatever is happening that we're, you know, we're, we're ruining the integrity of a contest. Um, fights sort of feel like once they go, they shouldn't be interrupted unless there's a real compelling reason to do that. But, you know, do you want to avoid situations like this? Because it felt like if you warned these guys, they would step on the gas a little bit more. You start taking a point from them, step on the gas a little bit more, you know? Uh, I think someone writes, I think part of the backlash to Tyron Woodley are his cries for Mac-like promotion. It's hard for fans to understand when he's on huge cards, then belittles us. I won't add to that. I'll just, I'll just um, let that be. Tyron had great performances the last four years. Now he is a boring fighter. Shake my head. He's had more exciting fights than boring fights. That's true. When GSP dominates a fight, it's just as boring as a T-Wood fight. When they have a fight, when they have a very tough challenge, they always have fight of the night. Something to be said for that. Um, Crazy T. Wood is a boring fighter now, but in 2016, he had two great performances, but he was still getting hate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a com combination of things that make people upset at him. Some of them are very unfair, and some of them, I think, to an extent, I understand. And I think some, to an extent, some of that he understands. Um, but I think in the end, as I said before, the right way to view that fight was like, were you entertained? You know, probably not. But I don't I don't believe that should make Tyron subject to vitriol. You know, that seems a little much. Because it's standard practice to wipe down fighters between rounds, and if so, why wasn't it done in Woodley Maya? It's not standard practice. It can be done, but it's not standard. 
How do you see JDS and Ganu fight going? Poorly for JDS. To put it mildly. <laughs> Someone says, damn. Luke wants Volkan Ozdemir to fight Glover next. What's Glover ever done to you, Luke? I'm not hating on Glover. I'm just saying. You know, if they're going to make the Gustafson fight with Jones, which I think, isn't that what y'all want? Isn't that what you guys want? Uh, then you got to do that, you know. Someone says, origins of the Jones-Lesnar beef started at UFC 200 Open Workouts when Lesnar talked S about Jones-USADA test. Oh, that might be right. But it got quiet for a while, you know. Who do you think has the best chance of beating Woodley? Gastelum? No. Masvidal? Maybe. Colby? No. Lawler? Maybe. I would say Masvidal. I think Masvidal is ridiculously talented. Uh, any news on the Korean Superboy after the injury? I have not heard anything. I have not heard anything. Yeah, I'm missing here. Um, let's see. What the hell is this? Someone's sending me like graphs. Sorry, it's dead air. I apologize. Has John Lineker retired? Not heard anything about him since the TJ fight. Not to my understanding. In fact, I spoke to Aljamain Sterling yesterday. Um, he was open to a number of possibilities. One of them was the Lineker fight. Y'all want to see Sterling versus Lineker? I'd be all in. <laughs> no question, just Man United's team bus getting clamped in Dublin. Funny. That is funny. Uh, let's go back and answer just maybe one or two more of these. How long would us fans of L. Thomas last sitting at the bar with luke before he labels us as a donk i never would do that i went i had a tweet well, i wouldn't say never but i did a tweet up in uh on friday at um at uh this actually was kind of a nubs bar but it, in in uh what was it anaheim i think it was anaheim yes because it was right by the uh, honda center and uh you know, about 20 people or so came out because it was I poorly promoted but still given them you know just a hey i'm gonna be here come hang out and they were all great they were all awesome so no but someone says, I'd make it five seconds when I ordered a blue moon. Yeah, I'd probably rib you for that, but that's about it. I wouldn't say much else. Uh, Dominic Cruz, anything else I can wrap up here very quickly with? All right, that's probably about it. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Please like the video. Subscribe to MMA Fighting. There is an MMA beat tomorrow. We are back tomorrow. So I will be up in New York for that. Um, that should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for watching. I always appreciate it. I really do. And until next time, stay frosty.